Welcome in, everybody, to Scout's Eye on Football. I am Chris Landry. We're going to have fun today. It is uh, NFL Draft Eve. It is Wednesday morning. April, what is the date today? April 28th. I mean, I know it's draft week. I just lost track of the day. We're going to have some fun today. Uh, if you have been joining us, well, we know you'd, we do this show um, every Wednesday, uh, give or take, with, with some times you've got to opt out of it uh, for different projects I'm working on. But um, we, we join you every Wednesday talking football. We have been focusing a lot on the draft recently, no question about it. We have been doing special shows um, pertaining to the draft. We have been doing shows at 4 p.m. Uh, Central Time. Uh, the last last week and this week, we broke down every division in football. We broke down um, the entire rosters, kind of went through needs, went through what happened um, in free agency. What do those free agent signings mean? What did they, don't they mean? Kind of where we go from here. So we went through all of that for you, went through the entire um, – uh, all four divisions, the entire league. We're going to spend a little time this morning and this afternoon at 4 p.m. Central. Uh, we're going to get into, quite frankly, have a little fun and kind of take this where you want to go. So I've got an hour scheduled today and an hour scheduled this afternoon. We can – I can use that whole hour uh, if you want. And if you want to participate and you want to have some questions, things you want to go over, We'll do that. If it's not, then then we'll we'll uh, we'll cut it short. Certainly, there's a lot of things on my schedule, but this is the, all these shows are for you. But this one is going to try to be more tailor made for you. Uh, we are tomorrow going to be outdo Landry Football, the Landry Football podcast tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. this time, and I will take you through draft day. Nah, not the goofy movie that is as most movies are not realistic. I'll take you through what draft day is really like. So we'll do that tomorrow. And then tomorrow um, at 6.30 Central Time, we're, we're on the clock, and we'll have a draft show that will take you through all the picks. The first round on Thursday night, we'll take you through that. Then we're going to redo that on Friday will be 5.30 before rounds two and three commence. And um, we'll um, we'll take you through those rounds. Saturday at 10.30 Central, we'll a little half an hour preview before the first picks on Saturday, rounds four through seven take place. Folks, I encourage you to join us. I think you'll, A, have a lot of fun with it, but, B, you'll learn a lot about the players and a lot about the picks uh, and we'll go through a lot of things that are going on behind the scenes. Um, as things are going on, as we're looking at, uh, and, and I, I think it's going to be fun on Friday. I think it's going to, uh, on Thursday, I think it's going to be fun on Friday. Probably will be more fun on Saturday than any for you. Why? Things are going to be moving fast, and I do a lot of my work. Then I mean, a lot of the work on 
for Thursday and Friday's done. I mean, all of my work's done in terms of evaluations. But in terms of communicating with teams, uh, we'll be doing a lot of that while I'm on the air. And so I'm going to take you behind the scenes, pull the curtain back, as I like to say. But I think you're probably going to enjoy Saturday more than any because the picks will be coming in fast, and, and I really will have maybe a little bit more input in players that may be um, – all the teams know a lot about them, but, you know, I think it may be a little bit more interesting for you there in that um, kind of where things go, who's available, what's great value, what might be happening with these picks. So it's going to be a lot of fun. We think you're going to enjoy it. And, again, really appreciate you guys' support and encouragement to kind of get that going. So um, <clears throat> it's the day before the draft, what goes on the day before the draft. Um, it is this year's again, a little bit different, a little bit unique in that there's still some last minute medical stuff that's been, uh, factored in. Um, there is, you know, the meetings quote unquote are done. What what you want to do is get together and say, look, we'll get together, you know, and, and you may even start it. I'd start my day. Like usually like 6 in the morning in the office. Then we'll get together as a staff at about 9. And we'll probably go from 9 to 11 going over things. Just scenarios, fine-tuning anything. Um, up, you know, this in this case, updating some things that may come out. You certainly work with your medical folks um, on issues that anything, your security folks, making sure that everything is – up to, to speed there. You already should have gotten your undrafted free agent board in alignment where you're going to prioritize. And, and let me say this, too, real quick. Draft day is not that hectic. And it is, it is slow in the draft room on draft day. Um meetings are robust. Yeah, you have some trade conversations. But it is the the biggest amount of activity or the hectic nature of it comes after the draft. When the draft is over and ending, you are scrambling to get undrafted free agent signings. And so preparing for that is what I would spend. I spent some of today doing. Now that is just to, let's make sure. Make sure all of these guys, are in the right order. Make sure area guy. We have the updated contact information. Call these guys, twofold. Hey, you know Joe, and this is an undrafted free agent candidate. You don't think's going to get drafted? He might. You don't have him graded on your draftable board. Hey, Joe, you know, um, what's so and so? Sudden touch your team. How you feeling? I know you're anxious. Look, you kind of talk them through it, give them some advice and all that. Look, well, you know, we certainly enjoyed evaluating you this year. We like you. We think you'd be a good fit. We don't know how things are going to play out. And you kind of go through the whole vagueness, you know, really like you a bunch. And, you know, we think you'd be a good fit for us. It's just, you know, with only so many picks, you know, you know, yeah, they get all that. But look, um, 
couple of things. If if you don't get drafted, and I hope you do, and I think there's a good chance you will, even though you you may not. Um, before you do anything, check with us. Have your agent check with us, and you know you kind of do that little pep talk thing, a little recruiting spiel. We love you. We call it soft sell. Um, you, you know you got a spot for you. We think you could compete here. It's why we like it. You know. I'm sure they're thinking, well, then draft me then. Well, it may be better players that we think. But you'd, <clears throat> you you kind of sell that part of it. Then what you do is you verify, okay, your agent, again, is, you know, John Doe. Make sure his numbers are correct. Make sure your numbers are correct. Okay, give me some alternative numbers. Your mom, your girlfriend, whatever. Got to reach you on Saturday. Boom. This weekend, anytime I got to reach you, verify that. So you got the area scouts doing that for you. So you've got all the information. You already have that information. You're not obviously not calling them to get their number, or you wouldn't be able to call them. You have that information, but you just verify. Sometimes those guys get the agent gives them an extra phone. They may have an extra number, whatever. Just make sure you got all that. That's all listed because you know when it comes time. Uh, and you have this for all of your draftable players as well. You've already done that. But most of those guys, we do all of that verification at the All-Star Game at the Combine. This year's a little different. But I go, always extended into guys that are not on my draft board and make sure I had all that information. Just little things like that. Um, as I said, I would have a, another security meeting by 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock this afternoon with my head of security. And what does the head of security do? They work through the league with independent, retired FBI folks to find out anything. There's something they can run with. We have all of this date of birth, Social Security information on all these players. So there's a lot of things that we can find out. As you know, the world today, you can find out a lot of stuff. Well, these folks really can find out anything that comes up. Does anything come up? Uh, and I'm not talking about, well, this guy's got a problem. Can we find out more details? Well, you should have already done that. You're, you're aware of a problem. Anything comes up, you should have already figured it out. But if anything comes up that's new, like something that happened in the last day or so, well, then you make sure that what is it? Um is it something to worry about or just something, well, you know, he um, he didn't – he came to a rolling stop at a red light. You know, it's not something that's major. You just need to know it. it was there anything involved or what have you? So it's a lot of that. And I think you you go over – you continue to go over scenarios. It's almost like, hey, let's look again. Let's, you know, what do we think? Okay, what do we think is going to happen here? I think today it's become more and more, and I'm, I'm okay with this. You have guys that you have targeted in this draft. Um, um, you, you may want to go up and get them. What's it going to cost? Uh, what would be willing to do? You know, I, I would go through scenarios. You'd be comfortable giving up this and that for that. And, and again, 
to understand the value of going up for a player. You have to know what that's going to cost you, not just in terms of a pick, not just in terms of a number, but what that number represents. So you say, hey, look, would you trade player A for player B, C, and D? What's best for us? Because that's what you're doing. You're saying, look, we're going to go up to get so-and-so if he's there at 13. This is what we're probably going to have to give up in terms of trade value in, in, in the number of picks. Well, these are the players. These are the cluster of players that we would get. Now, you don't know exactly the player, but you know it would be, you know, a player out of this group a player out of this group, and a player out of this group. Do you make that trade? Is that good for us? Well, yeah, it is because as good as the middle group is, they're probably not going to be able to make our team at this spot. So it's really down to this. Well, then is there anybody else that we would – Yeah, I think you got to go through all those scenarios. Because that's what you're doing. It's you're trading players. The picks are players. You know what players you're going to get with those picks. And so that's really important to understand. And you go through a lot of different scenarios. You do that. You go through it. Um, Here's the other thing I did. Here's the other thing I did today, the day before the draft. All the scouts go out of the room the head coach the assistant coaches come in all right it's just us your final you know we've gone over all these players you've had you say we'll spend two hours we're gonna go over up to two hours. It could be less, depending on how much you get done, how much discussion. What players on the board we got too high or too low? What players that are you jonesing for that you think we've got misgraded? Okay. Make notes on that. Have that list. Um. They go out. I will let the position coaches go out. Then I would sit there with the two coordinators and the head coach. Maybe there's a veteran guy on the staff that was a confidant. He may be in there. And I might say, all right, anything that was just said there that you disagree with or whatever. Because sometimes people, when they work together, they don't want to be confrontational and it's personalities. You'll want to make sure that you give them the freedom to talk. And the door is always open, so you can always come in individually. But if you feel certain things, that's fine. And if you feel like it compromises your ability to lead as a coordinator, if you don't think the position coach has got it right, that's fine. I'll do it. I'll I'll come in and say, hey, look, you know, what do we think about this? Let's say every, you know, and then 
let the coordinator sit it out if he didn't want to, again, ruffle any feathers or vice versa. Um, you know, you need to have a good relationship where you can communicate, disagree without being disagreeable. But, but you wanted to make sure that you got everybody's take, everybody's thought, and then after the coordinators, I just meet with the head coach a little bit and see if he had anything that he wanted to stamp or disagree with with this staff. Then, then I'd bring in the personnel folks, and I'd say, um, they think this guy's a little too low, a little too high, or this or that, and then have their take on it. Yeah, you know what? I could see that. I'm good with that. I think – I think that guy belongs in that little group of love. I I agree with that, and I could see that. Okay, make that adjustment. We're not talking about the the 10th pick in the draft now. We're talking about guys that are are probably very innocuous to most people, but but are really, really important to get them right. And you do that, And, and I think you have little exercises like that that encourage free thought, encourage, um, uh, you know, just general opinions, scenarios, uh, what we want to do. Um, they would be, I'm going to tell you something, there's a lot of things that go on. You, you believe there, there's some guys that think that every player in the draft, I want that guy. I had an offensive line coach that, I mean, if he had his way, we'd take, we'd take, seven offensive linemen and signed 14 of them as undrafted free agents. And you loved everybody. I mean, he just, he wanted as many, he just, everything. We got to have this. We got to do this. And, and it's, it's okay. That's fine. You take that into account. You have other guys that didn't want their position to be taken high. It's a lot of pressure. Going to take a receiver high. Guy doesn't produce. Am I going to get blamed for it as a position coach? I'd rather have the guy that, you know, that's later on guy. If he's good, I get the credit. If he's not good, well, we hadn't invested a high pick, a top three pick at such and such a position. You got to get to know your people. It's called scouting the scout and scouting the coaches. You got to know their personalities. You got to know their thinking. You got to kind of know what you're dealing with. <laughs> I'm not going to pass on a player because he's a better player, but one of my guys didn't want to coach him because he wanted the credit for a lesser game. No, no, it doesn't work that way. But And I can see through that. But you got to – not trying to expose it or embarrass anybody, but but you you certainly want to do that. Folks, this is – these are human beings. It's no different than any other business. There are egos. There's, you know, angling and jonesing for credit. You kind of want to really get to know your people to where you can, again, make those determinations. Look, I always – there was a scout I had that was a high grader. I mean, he was a – he had rabbit ears, and if he – thought or heard or got a sense that another team really liked the guy in the first round, he'd, he'd want to raise his grade. Because in his eyes, if he graded a guy a first round and he went in the first round, he was right. 
And that wasn't, that wasn't, um, it's not how it should be, but they think that. Then had another guy that was just, I mean, he was a low grader. I mean, he had half of the first round with third round grade. I mean, he just was, he was just hard grader. It's okay as long as they're consistent and they got good information. I knew how to work through that stuff and get the guy graded properly. That's what you got to do. You got to set the board correctly. So I think there's as much art to it, maybe even more than science to it. But it's it's putting it all together, folks. And today is the last round of forever hold your peace. We're going forward, and we're good to go. We're going to uh, edit. Uh, hey, I see some guys joining us. Hey, Fantasy Football 101, thanks for joining us. Uh, Woodshed King, thanks for joining us as well. Cheering us on 200, bucks, uh, 200 bits. I really appreciate that. Rich Coates has got a question here. Chris, um, let's see here. You dealt with agents all the time. Who was the toughest agent you had to deal with uh, and the weakest? Um, I don't know that the, the, the toughest agents that I had to deal with are the ones that didn't have a lot of experience. You had to explain everything to them. I mean, it's nothing wrong with explaining it, but if you're dealing with someone with experience – um, you can start at a different level of negotiations. If you're having to explain every little thing, it becomes cumbersome and time-consuming and frustrating. So the answer, without any specific name, is, um, well, I, I'll give you one. We dealt, had to deal with Bus Cook. Became Bus, uh, Brett Favre's agent, and but he was he had his first guy was Steve McNair. That was a tough negotiation because he didn't understand it. Well, why can't we do this? Well, that's let me explain. It's, it's against the collective bargaining agreement rules. Okay, and you had to explain that. Okay, okay. Well, why do we do it again? And, and you have to explain it. And it, it, it's just tough. It's just tough to tough to deal with. Um, easiest ones are guys with experience. The ones that are understand how to land their player in a good spot and understand the market. Okay. If a guy is worth five and you got some jack leg that's trying to get his guy eight, you're wasting your time. Okay. You got to know what the market is, you got to know what the guy is. You know, don't waste your time. Don't waste my time because I'm not going to fool with you if you're going to sit there and you think your guy is worth way more than he is. Understand what the market is. Understand what the player's value is. I know damn well you're not getting that offer anywhere else, and you can try to just I wanted straight shooters. That's tough to do. Agents only lie when their lips are moving. But there's some that you know that could cut through the BS. And you can get a deal done quickly. So that that's my spin on agents. I didn't like negotiating with agents. Uh, what uh, LSU talk? Morning LSU talk. What do you like to eat on draft days? I didn't. I don't eat a whole lot on draft days. I. Um. It depends. So, draft day, for years and years. Um, and I'll get into the more this more tomorrow, but. Draft day used to be on Tuesdays. Um, 
and it was one day. It was um, it was twelve rounds. Started at seven in the morning Eastern. Eight, excuse me, seven in the morning Central, eight Eastern. So that was five a.m. West Coast time, and you went through twelve rounds. Um, and you know it was at that time I. I didn't eat much. There, there's food galore. So during breaks, you could, you know, you can go and get food, and you know, I mean, obviously, early in the morning, you breakfast food, and you have lunch and dinner brought in. I mean, you know, all three, all three things are brought in. Um, I wasn't. Um, I didn't eat much that early morning. You, it depends on when we pick. Was probably. I don't know, it was a bagel or something, you know, in the morning. I didn't eat a whole lot, to be honest. I might eat an apple or banana or bagel in the morning. And I, I my stomach was usually in knots. Um, I tell you, though, um, when it was over that night, or in the case of on Tuesday, it was a, a little bit of a break. Sometimes around dinner, I would I would have to eat because you get weak then. But when, currently in the current, then we'd move the draft to Saturday and Sunday. And then, you know, it started on Saturday morning. So there was a little bit more time early in the morning to eat a breakfast. And I would eat a pretty decent breakfast. But then I wouldn't eat anything until the draft was over that night. And I'd, I'd, I'd chow the hell down on whatever the hell they had then. I was starving then. And that same thing on Sunday. Now it's a little different. So um, eat, you know, before, you know, it's like before dinner time, or it's really dinner time, eat an early dinner, then eat something after um, on Thursday and Friday. Saturday it would be kind of a pretty big breakfast or something like that, and then you'd have, you'd be done, the draft will be done Saturday by, I don't know, five-ish central time in the afternoon. So uh, that's kind of how I, I did it. Uh, what I ate really depend. I mean, you may have, um, like I said, breakfast foods. I mean, it, some people will make, there are people that will be making omelets, to, you know, for your, for the, the staff, or it's just kind of the bagels, donuts, cinnamon rolls. Um, have a weakness for cinnamon rolls, um, chocolate chip cookies. Um, now that's what I would do a, a little bit of. That have a little bit of during the day. When I say I didn't eat, technically there was um, usually chocolate chip cookies was was my thing. I would would you know just eat while while going through the draft. That's about it. Um, what was the best player you added to the team that went undrafted? Um, Let me think about that because fortunately had quite a few. Um, I'm going to have to go back. Um, there's a lot of there's, – there's quite a few undrafted guys that, that made it. Who was the best? Um, 
Man, that's a that's a really good question. Let me let me give some thought there because there's a bunch of people that come to mind, um, and I don't know. In the twelve round era, you know that's there's a lot of players get drafted in the twelve round uh, era, and so there was there was less of those guys in. But boy, there's been a ton of guys since we went to the seven rounds. There are a lot of guys that um, that were really good players that um, that made teams. Came good players, came good starters. Uh, that's a good question. Let me let me give some thought. I'll, maybe I'll come up with something a little bit later, or maybe this afternoon. Um, that's a good question. If you would fantasy one on one, remind me because I just um no, I don't want to just start on rambling. I'll miss some people, and uh, if you will remind me this afternoon on the afternoon show, uh, I will um I, I will try to try to remember that undrafted free agent best and I'll try to get to that. Um but yeah, those are those are really really important parts. You know the 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 game of football is about depth. It's 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 certainly having a great quarterback. Certainly have a, a great pass rush and pass protectors. You got to have guys that can score touchdowns, backs, receivers that can make a difference for you. But you got to have depth. Uh, and I don't care what it is. You've, you've got to have not enough people pay attention of, and I always ask this. I always ask this in the draft room. You know, we sit there, well, we're good with this. Who's our third tackle? Who's starting for us right now? So-and-so just went out. What are we doing? Well, this is what we do. Okay. Are we good enough to win with? Nah, well, we <laughs> – then, no, we're not good enough. So this is what we're going to do. Um, who's your third tackle? Who's your interior offensive lineman? Who's who's your fourth and fifth edge rusher? You know, what's your depth at defensive tackle? I mean, who's keeping the elite guys fresh? And uh, th- those things are important. You, we, you know that slot corner is a starting position. You know, who's your third safety? Who's your fourth corner? I mean, all those things are really important. Okay, you've got multiple backs. You know, what are you going to – who's your best blocker? What are you going to do in pass protection? Third down is not just about an ability to catch the football, but it's ability to be able to hit a cut block because you might be facing a blitzer. You might have a green dog blitz where you've got to – they're going to either follow you out or they're going to go with you. Well, you got to either beat them on a route or you got to cut them if the – Alternative option is deep. You've, you've got to be able to do both. Um, I think those things are really important. Football is a game of numbers. If you look at there's certain people you can't be without, if you lose certain key guys like a quarterback, probably going to be tough to go and win a Super Bowl with a backup. We've seen it. We saw the Eagles do it relatively recent, you know, recently. But um, you've got to be good enough there to have a quarterback, and you've got to be good enough around him so that you – can continue to compete at the highest level. But you have to have depth. You know, I know it caught the Chiefs in this past Super Bowl on the offensive line. Let's give the Bucks credit. They got it done. Could would the outcome been different? I don't know, but certainly it would have looked different if the Chiefs and they had a bunch of injuries on the offensive line. They weren't good enough there in their third tackle. So they they've revamped their offensive line. What's their depth situation? How good are they? I mean, that's going to be key, too, is what can they do 
uh, in that situation. Um, you have maybe uh, a back that's a really good runner, but who's the guy that can spell you as a runner, and who's the guy that can spell the receiving back and the versatility there? Okay, you've got a really good X receiver. you got a really good flanker. Who's your slot guy? Is he is is he capable of beating guys? Well, then, then do you have a guy that can play both? You know, um, you get the best players, and then you figure out, okay, what can they play? How do they fit? Uh, but you get the best players. Okay, you know what? This guy is strictly an X receiver, but our X receiver currently is a really good number two X receiver, a starting flanker, but he can also play slot. He's got versatility. Or you got two good outside corners. One of them can play the slot. One of them can't. You then have the ability to draft the best corner, be it outside or inside, if it, it, it you take the best player. That guy plays outside, and the guy that's the best slot guy amongst your starting outside corners can move inside. Now you've got a good starting group. But what's your depth there? Who's your backup slot? Who's your backup outside guy? You know, the the guy that can do both goes down. Now you lose two positions with one player. What's your depth factor? You know, very often who wins from November, from Thanksgiving on, is who's the deepest. Yeah, your key positions have to be there. But um, who can line up and play linebacker? Who can, who can fill in for you? Uh, those things are really important. Those usually are the determining factor of whether a team is just really good and can't finish. Look at Pittsburgh. And I know Pittsburgh was kind of living on the edge most of the year. They were 11-0, and and boy, as Mike Tomlin aptly said, the only thing perfect about us is our record. On film, you see that, but they were getting it done. Oh, boy, they lose Bud Dupree. They can't rush the pressure now. Have some, I mean, it just – it really evaporated quickly. That was a team that when everything was just right, they were functional, they were good, but they you could see that they weren't quite enough. And, boy, if they had any cracks in the armor, I mean, Humpty Dumpty was falling off the wall big time. And it just – it happens. They weren't deep enough. Um, the Cowboys have been a team – that has not been really deep. I'm not talking about the quarterback position, but they're built around certain key players, but they're not real deep, mainly because they've poorly managed their roster with cap allocation funds on certain players. It's not basketball. It is It is about depth. It is about the quality of your depth so that you can be fungible at certain spots and you can line up and play and be effective. And I think it's very often going to maybe prevent you from winning at all if your key guys at your key positions are not there making big plays. But if those guys are there and the supporting cast around them has gone from you know pretty solid to way below average, then you're struggling. If you're getting you know solid purple-grade play from your offensive line and you lose two guys and you're in a at best orange grade level you're gonna struggle saw that in the Super Bowl couldn't handle it 
People are going to attack you. Take advantage of it. So when we grade players in the NFL, you grade them numerically, but they've got a color code that's associated with it. You're looking for players that there are minimal purple grade players. Well, you know, Chris, the orange grades are backup players. This guy's a backup. No, no, no. He's a backup, but he's a purple graded backup. Or what you don't want, you always the axiom in pro personnel scouting is what? Always replace your oranges. You know, if if you're if you got an orange graded player, now he's a red grade special teams guy, that then you might be able to you work with that. Um but if you if you got an orange starter, you're you're having to cover that up and that gets exposed. So yeah, there's depth is a really important factor in the process. Um I don't know, some of these questions, who surprised you the most in the draft, meaning who you picked? I don't know who surprised me the most. I, I again I'd have to think about it. who surprised me the most. Um Usually not that surprised. Um, sometimes I'm disappointed. Um, you know, usually if I drafted a guy, um, you know, it's because I liked him. I thought Blaine Bishop was going to be a good player for us. I didn't think he'd be a perennial pro bowler. So, I mean, is that a surprise? Eh, maybe a little bit. Uh, there's – there's not a lot of surprises. What was my scouting evaluation of Sam Adams out of A&M? Sam was a uh, little bit of an underachiever, but had a lot of ability. Um, Kevin Carter out of Florida was another guy that picked his spots, but we actually signed him in Tennessee. I, I had a pretty good grade on Kevin come out of Florida really high. We we actually we weren't going in that um, di- direction, but he was a guy that was a real candidate on top of that draft that year. Musin Muhammad. Musin Muhammad. Boy, uh Musin um was a big physical receiver in an era that you didn't um you didn't have a ton of those guys. Musin had some off the field issues. So I remember him. It's amazing. I I don't know. I'm getting all you stuff you forget or whatever you know, just kind of normal everyday life stuff. I can not only I can see him play, I can I can close my eyes and see the scouting report I wrote on him, and I can see his card on the draft board exactly where he was, and he and he had a little bit of a shield on him. That was an issue with him, <clears throat> but um, I knew Carolina liked him, and he had a pretty good career. Woodshed King says lots of late round picks and free agents have to play special teams to make it. You better believe it. Not, not only late round guys, but if you're not starting. In this league, so you could be a first-round pick. If you're not starting, you're on special teams. There's no, <clears throat> you know, lots of them. I mean, they all are. I mean, if you're not starting, I mean, you only got 53. You're on special teams. How much do you evaluate special teams' ability for players in that range, and how does that evaluation differ from the normal position? Great question. If you look at LandryFootball.com, in each of the critical factors for each position. Okay, so if you look, you know, some of you may not be as interested in it. You just want to know who's ranked. Who's I get it. I get it. If you want to learn, that's a great question, Wichick, and great question. 
you want to learn about what's really important, see the critical factors at each position, and what does that really mean. <clears throat> you look underneath that, it has the special teams evaluation criteria. So each position, so be a quarterback, and you evaluate his ability to hold. Um, has he been a holder? How good is he? Really important. Good hands, got to be able to hold. Some guys can do it better than others. Obviously, should have an ability to throw the football if, if, if you're a holder. Um, running back, it could be, you know, it, it's not just return skills, but it's coverability. We got, I got the list of the, the critical factors within special teams. Grade every one of those in that area. Now, <clears throat> does a player play special teams? A lot of times in college, because of the large roster spot, they don't play. They've never gone down on kickoffs. Guess what? Mr. Flashy five-star running back that's coming into the team, you're covering kicks. Never done it. We'll show you how to do it. Now, what you want is in the evaluation is what type of mentality they are. They type the tough guy that's going to go down and flathead somebody or, you know, they're kind of an avoid. I mean, that, that'll tell you there. If you got a guy that's a little soft – I mean, look, he may, he may not be a great return guy, but he might be a big receiver that, that loves to block and he's physical. He, he's going to be on special teams in some regard. I'm sure you've heard the story. But Terrell Davis, who's in the Hall of Fame, started out at Long Beach State. And when they shut down that program, the, the late great George Allen was the head coach at Long Beach State. And um, they dropped the program. So those guys were – today's were pretty confident. Uh, guys can transfer, but, you know, you didn't do that very much back then. And um, those guys were essentially free agents. Well, I recruited Terrell Davis to LSU. He ended up going to Georgia. And, you know, he had some, you know, good little stint at Georgia before going in the NFL. He wasn't a high pick, though, and he was he was a guy that I liked a bunch. I liked his toughness. I liked his ability to put his foot in the ground and head upfield. But he wasn't a super talented, gifted player naturally, but was really good. He is on the Broncos <clears throat> as a rookie. Okay, keep this in mind for preseason's not important. It doesn't matter. I, I get it. It's not important for you, and it's not fun. I get all that. It's preseason, and he's not doing anything. I mean, he's – it's head spinning. He can't quite figure things out. And he just, you know, not going to make that team. They go to Japan to play, I think, the Niners in what was the last preseason game of that year, and I think it was the fifth one for them that year because they had an extra one. I mean, everybody had four. They had a fifth one. And Terrell Davis goes down on a kick. I think they still show it. You, you'll see it. They show that. Right. He goes down on a kick, and he is the first one down, and he just cold cocks somebody. And he made the team based upon not just that. If that's the only thing he ever did, it wouldn't matter. He, that effort that led to that is a big part of what made him stick. He's not making that team. He's not making that team. He's just not distinguished himself. He's a tough guy. They want to keep him. But 
damn, he can't, he's not doing anything. He does that. They just keep him just a little bit longer. He gets better and better. Great running back, Hall of Fame running back. Uh, it's it's not all what it – hey, we anoint this guy. He's the next great one. That's the way it is. No, it's about what you do and how you do with what you have. Um, so special teams value at every position. I got it on Landry football. Each critical factor on special teams in addition to the position-specific special teams um, – critical factors, rather. Um, so really good – thoughts there and questions about which at King fantasy football 101 did you work with Michael Lombardi in Cleveland with the Browns uh yes uh if you do do you have any stories um yeah probably not the classy thing to go down in that direction um I you know he's uh not somebody that um, is that I have a whole lot of respect for. Either as a person um, or his ability um, in terms of working in football. Um, I think he's a bright guy, but I don't. He's not a trustworthy guy. I mean, there's a reason why he's had like seven jobs in the league. And he's been fired from all of them. Um, I mean, the, the amazing story that he continually got hired. He could, he could sell himself to anybody, but there, there, are not many people. He would be on the list of um, one of the two or three people that I that I really don't. There, there are a lot of people that are not really that good. Um, But they're good people. Um, there's some people that are um, that are not good people, um, but they have some ability. Not many people are um, just just not good people, backstabbing type people, but also also not very good, and 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 mainly just um, you know. They they do a good job of BSing their way through it, so uh, that's that's probably probably enough there on him. Um, as we kind of get here, we uh, got a few minutes left. Uh, any more questions? I'll take them here. Um, I'm going to get into this afternoon, may, and again, we're going to take this where you want to go. Um, but maybe I'll go into some players. Uh, go into some maybe some scouting reports on the players. You can get all the detailed scouting reports at LandryFootball.com, but I'll go into maybe some of my scouting notes on some of these players. I also encourage you to, even if you're not a member of LandryFootball.com, I've put up some free um, stories on Landry Football with some of the histories of the NFL, just some of the greatest scouts of all time, Um you know some of the best drafts and some draft day stories and one of the the history of the draft um, I call gutsy and smart draft day decisions some things behind the the scenes that you may not have known and look some of it I wasn't even alive for but and I mentioned this in the article 
that due to the fact that I've been blessed to be around a lot of people for a lot of years, even when I was young and starting out, there were older guys that I knew um, a whole lot, knew well, and, and they can tell firsthand stories, and you can verify that. But there's a lot of things there. I, I was thinking about this, um, <clears throat> some things you may not know, like, and we'll go through a few of them here before, you know, the top of the hour. And I got, I got, I got time to answer more questions, too, and we'll get to them, your questions and comments. But, uh, and maybe we'll get to a little bit more of this tomorrow's show and this afternoon. But, you know, I keep thinking about, like, the 65 draft when the Bears had the third and the fourth pick overall. They had acquired a pick in the draft. And if you remember, this is the year um, – that Joe Namath was drafted by the AFL. Um, do you know which NFL team drafted Joe Namath? It was the Cardinals. Uh, you know he signed with the Jets. Sonny Warblin paid $200,000 for a, a player, highest paid player. Um, so uh, he was, um, you know, we known that year was known for that. But, um, in the third round, the Lions drafted a really good receiver out of Florida State by the name of Fred Belitnikoff. He ended up signing with the AFL with the Raiders, you know, as uh, was it the legendary Paul Harvey would say, and, and now you know the rest of the story is he was a Raider. But in um, the third pick and the fourth pick, the Bears took – at three, Dick Butkus. At four, Gail Sears. Pretty good back-to-back combo there. Now, Gail didn't have the long career. If only we had arthroscopic surgery back then, huh? We were cheated out of Gail Sears because back then when you had the knee injury, they had to, pardon me here, cut through muscle, tendons, and all that had to regenerate, and it was a two-and-a-half-plus-year recovery. Now they go in with an arthroscope. Oh, man, it's one. we'll get into that one. Of it's probably the thing that's been most influential in football is, is, is arthroscopic surgery. How about 1967? <clears throat> you, had, um, you had Bob Greasy uh, of Purdue, really good quarterback. Alan Page, Notre Dame defensive end. The Vikings drafted him. Of course, Greasy, you know, was drafted by the Dolphins. Uh, there was a guard at Texas A&M Kingsville. It wasn't called Texas A&M Kingsville then. It was Texas A&I by the name of Gene Upshaw. Uh, second round, the Lions took a defensive back from Jackson State. Boy, was Jackson State loaded. Lem Barney. Do you realize in the 1975 draft that there were two Top 10, top 10 or top 12 picks in this draft. Can you imagine talking about right now? We do it a little bit with maybe like an NC State or some uh, 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 North Dakota State type. There were two picks that were taken in the top 10 or a dozen picks in the 75 draft from Jackson State. Walter Payton, Robert Brazil. <laughs> Think about that. <clears throat> integration, folks, integration. Um 
Lem Borney was taken by Jackson State in the second round. <clears throat> How about Morgan State's linebacker, Willie Lanier, taken by the Chiefs that year? Uh, in the ninth round, Prairie View A&M um, safety, Ken Houston. Um, now, I mentioned that the Dolphins took Bob Greasy, um, but they were planning on taking Steve Spurrier from Florida. The pick before the Niners took Spurrier, leaving Bob Greasy to the Dolphins. So they were um, – that was their plan. And Spurrier was not a good pro quarterback. Obviously, Greasy, different era, did a really good job. Um 68, I know the Oilers landed Elvin Bethay in the third round from NCA&T. 1969 was kind of known as the O.J. Simpson draft. O.J. played at San Francisco Junior Community College, went to USC, and I know for the older guys that the O.J. grade for years was the highest grade. I know Blesto, who I work for, I think when I started – my first year with Blesto in 82, that's still the highest-graded player ever by Blesto was O.J. Um, but in that year, I mean, Joe Green was drafted out of North Texas, and there was this quarterback out of University of Cincinnati by the name of Greg Cook, uh, who was a phenomenal talent. He was drafted by the Bengals. Bill Walsh was the offense coordinator and quarterback coach for Paul Brown. And uh, Greg Cook was phenomenal. And he was a great player as a rookie. He came in and he played early. He played well. He was MVP of the league. He was – he was, and he was a golden-haired guy. And, you know, he was a Madison Avenue guy if you ever saw one. I mean, he was um, – Could, he was Tom Brady in a blonde, you know. Form. He um, suffered a torn rotator cuff. And, and the thing is, is they didn't know it was a torn rotator cuff. He played one entire year with a torn rotator cuff. They didn't know it at the time, but when they went in after the year, they saw that it had been torn and it was shredded and it, it couldn't be fixed. He was MVP of the league, throwing the ball with his throwing shoulder the entire year with a torn rotator cuff because the injury took place in preseason, and he played the entire year with it. Played, played at an MVP level, and, and but the repercussions were, was torn so bad, shredded so bad, he couldn't even lift his arm up. Uh, but in that same – you know, so that was – Bill Walsh, to his dying day, still said he's the best quarterback he's ever seen. Um, then a few years later, um, in 71 draft, there was uh, Plunkett, Archie Manning, and Dan Pastorini from Santa Clara. Archie from Ole Miss, Plunkett from Stanford. That was one, two, three. Bill Walsh that year thought the best quarterback of the bunch was a guy 
from Augustana College in Illinois by the name of Ken Anderson. Uh, but before there was that, there was Greg Cook. That same 69 draft, uh, Ted Hendricks came out of Miami, linebacker. Um, he was a second rounder by the Colts. Um, now, Charlie Jarner, you will remember him, great charger, but he was drafted in the fourth round by the Oilers. Um, the Falcons got Jeff Van Noten that draft. 69 draft was really good. Um, also, in uh, <clears throat> it was a surprise, as rarely did you see a guy from the Ivy League drafted really high. It, it, in the old days, you did. But 69, not so much. But Calvin Hill was drafted by the Cowboys then. Um <clears throat> The um, tell you the story of 1970 was pretty interesting. Um, the Steelers um, they drafted Mel Blunt from Southern University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, in the third round. Um, the Bills that year in the fifth round took a um, a defensive end from USC by the name of Al Collins. You may remember him more noted for driving a white Bronco for his former teammate at USC. But that year, the Steelers won a coin flip with the Bears. Um, at the top of the draft. And the Steelers, most people thought Mike Phipps of Purdue, you know, everybody's talking about, oh, you got to do this. And even back then, you didn't have – but but you, you didn't have the media like it is today. But oh, Mike Phipps, you got to take Mike Phipps. That Mike Phipps, you can't you can't go with this quarterback out of Louisiana Tech, Terry Bradshaw. That makes it. Steelers took Terry Bradshaw, and um, now the the Browns love Phipps, and um, they traded up to number three to take him to replace Bill Nelson. Um, this this that probably was the start of the ruination of the Browns from a championship-caliber team because they gave up on Paul Warfield in the trade and Phipps never produced. And Warfield was a was a big contributor in Don Shula's early Super Bowl runs in Miami. Then to compensate for the loss of Warfield, I remember the Browns, um, they gave a big, big uh, trade uh, a lot to get Homer Jones um, and they, and they gave up um, first-round pick that became Ron Johnson, who was a great feature runner. So, um, Homer wasn't. Homer um, Homer Jones' biggest claim to fame, he had a really good career, but his biggest claim to fame, he, he didn't do anything in Cleveland except he is the answer to a trivia question. Um, he ran the opening kickoff, the first-ever Monday night football game. First ever Monday night football game. Welcome in. It's the opening kickoff. The Jets are kicking off to the Browns. Homer Jones takes it at the goal line and runs it in for a touchdown. That's the first play in the history of Monday night football. That's the only thing that Homer ever did in Cleveland. Just told you the story about um, Greg Cook and, uh, you know, 71. By the way, the drafts then were done in January. Um, in 1971, in addition to – 
you know, Plunkett, Manning, Pastorini, we think going to be quarterback, quarterback, quarterback this year. And you think that's a new thing. That never would happen in the past. It happened in 1971. Plunkett, Manning, Pastorini. 71, you also had uh, John Riggins coming out of Kansas. Was a really uh, – was a first-round pick by the Jets. He had most – we people remember him for his time in in Washington with the Skins, but he was a Jet before then. Um, Jack Youngblood came out of Florida, deep, good defensive end. It's a first round pick by the Rams. Um, that's when the Steelers drafted uh, drafted Jack Ham in '71, and then um, the Cardinals also drafted Dan Deardorff. You probably remember him from broadcasting days, but what a great um, offensive lineman he was for Bo Schenbeck right Michigan. 72, we're not going to go to all of this. Uh, we're going to we'll maybe continue a little bit later if, if this interests you. I remember the 72. So the Steelers needed running backs and corners. That was a big need for them. Um, but they wanted to get Willie Buchanan in the first round with the 13th pick. That's the guy um, that they targeted. The Packers grabbed Willie at seven. Uh, and it, it kind of sent him a little bit of a flutter in the, the war room at Pittsburgh as they were trying to decide where they want to go. Chuck Knoll wanted um, Robert Newhouse. You remember Robert Newhouse? Cowboys, good back, really successful career at the University of Houston. The scouts in the room wanted the running back at Penn State, who they thought was better than the more touted guy at Penn State, and that's Lydell Mitchell. The Steelers wanted a guy that was they thought was better than Lydell Mitchell on that roster. That was Franco Harris. Um and Art Rudy Jr. signed with my buddy Dick Haley and the rest of the scouts and went with Franco Harris. Um, <clears throat> that was the year, though, that um, the the Rams got Virginia State defensive tackle Larry Brooks. If you remember him, he had the busiest cage of a face mask I've ever seen. It was back – there wasn't even a spot to even look out of. But – um, oh, what the heck, we'll go through a couple of more. Uh, I remember in 73, uh, this is from this article that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of jogging my memory. Remember, the Al Davis was always a maverick and he had different ideas, but uh, in 72 they were awful as a punting team. But, you know, back then it was field position and running the football and defense. Um, drafted Ray Guy in the first round. Now, Ray Guy was a great punter. I mean, he got great, the best extension I think I've ever seen, he and probably Dale Hatcher. Um, Ray Guy was had a, a good fastball, enough to where the Major League Baseball scouts were very interested. Here's the thing about him that people don't know. Um, A, he kicked – in addition to punted at Southern Miss, he kicked a 61-yard field goal um, at Southern Miss. And he intercepted 18 passes. He was a really good safety. 
Uh, but he didn't do that. Um, I mean, he was just punted. That was the same year in 73 that the Chargers drafted a third-round quarterback out of Oregon by the name of Dan Fouts. 74 draft is probably known as one of the best drafts in league history. Um, the Steelers drafted this undersized small college linebacker, teammate of nondescript player, but player nonetheless, for Don James, the head coach at Kent State, and teammate of one Nick Saban. It was an undersized linebacker by the name of Jack Lambert um, in the second round. And back then, again, not much media, but it was, oh, my God, what are they doing? It's just these idiots, you know. It's the typical type of stuff that you hear now. In the fourth round, they drafted um, a receiver who I saw at the Senior Bowl, and I hadn't seen any tape on him, um, but I saw him at the Senior Bowl. I was, was young then. Uh, but I remember watching him, and this was before, obviously, I was in scouting, uh, John Stallworth. Uh, and and the, the story is Bill Nunn, the Steeler scout at the time, the scouts then were more like recruiters and you know, agents for the team, if you will, and they didn't have the modern technology. Bill Nunn took the tape from <laughs> Alabama and, him and put it in his trunk, and he, and he only left two tapes, two tapes when – John Stallworth were, was playing with a with a sprained ankle, and so he looked slow and he wasn't really good, and, and nobody knew. And so, and that's the only tape. So he basically hijacked the tape. So scouts going in couldn't couldn't see this guy, um, and he had a good senior bowl, and I think it helped him. But there were some shenanigans going on back then. But so they drafted. How's this? Jack Lambert on the second. Fourth round, John Stallworth. How about the fifth round, Mike Webster? Three. One, two, three Hall of Famers. One draft. That year, the Raiders in the second round took a really good tight end, one of many celebrated tight ends historically out of Notre Dame and tight ends just going back over and over, Dave Casper. Um, you hear a lot about North Dakota State now, and but there was back in the day, they had a really good linebacker by the name of Steve Nelson that the um, the Patriots took. Um, it was I, one thing I remember about the Steelers draft that year is it was maybe the best ever, but maybe the worst draft ever happened in the same year. And it was the Saints. Of the they had sixteen picks. Only four of them lasted three seasons. Not only did they, and, and, and they were nondescript. Um they drafted Rick Middleton. <laughs> they they drafted Rick Middleton from Ohio State, who was the teammate of Randy Gratishar. They 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 were they were awful back then. Um in seventy five I mentioned it. Bill Tobin, Jim Finks, Jim Palmer, not Jim Palmer, the baseball pitcher, Jim Palmer, great scout for the Bears. They selected Walter Payton in the first round. They drafted Roland Harper, who was um, out of Louisiana Tech, and a really 
good runner and player. And he was the blocking back for Walter in Chicago with the Bears. The blocking back for Walter at Jackson State was Ricky Young, who was an outstanding back for the Vikings. Um, You heard of the 46 defense. Do you know that the 46 defense was named after Doug Plank, who wore 46? Um, that's, that's, it's not four and it's 46 named after Doug Plank. Doug Plank was drafted in this 75 draft out of Ohio state. Um, they drafted, uh, Mike Hardenstein in the second round, Virgil Livers in the fourth round. I forgot Virgil was in that draft. All that in a 75 draft. It is the bears. One of the best drafts ever in 75 and, and he had a decent career. Not great. But for the sixth round, Bob Avellini out of Maryland was a really good pick for the Bears. Um, The Cowboys had um, Randy White in the first round, Hollywood Henderson from Langston College in Oklahoma in the second. Bob Brunig in the third round out of Arizona State. Um, Pat Donovan, Stanford defense then in the fourth. Mike Hegman out of Tennessee State in the seventh. And Virginia Union guard Herb Scott in the 14th round. So, you know, if you look at um, at the Steelers drafts in the 70s, the Cowboys, they, they ended up in the Super Bowl a few times. You know, pretty good. Bears, again, the genesis of some of their teams started to get pretty good. They, they, weren't, they weren't quite to that level, but, um, you know, but they, they, they turned out to be obviously that the core of that, that 85 team, super team, was really good, and they started to build. Uh, in 75, the Colts had the number one overall pick. Um, what I remember about it is the Colts traded down to number three with the Falcons. The Falcons moved up to take <clears throat> Steve Barkowski out of Cal, who was at Cal Berkeley living in a dorm room and the, what do you call those, like dorm room monitors or, you know, you you get graduate students that live in kind of, I guess dorm room monitors is the best I can come up with. Dorm room monitor and law student Lee Steinberg. And back when you didn't have agents, Steve Borkowski is trying to figure out how to do this contract and whatever. He didn't understand certain things. So he had a law student by the name of Lee Steinberg, who was his guy that he developed a friendship with in a dorm, become his agent. You know, hey, look at this. And and said, you know what? This is pretty good. I might be able to make a living at this. And so Lee Steinberg became an agent. Jimmy Sexton, who's a super agent to coaches and was really good with players, was an equipment manager, a student assistant equipment manager at Tennessee when Reggie White was there and was good friends with Reggie. And Reggie helped, asked him to help him do his deal in the USFL with the Memphis Showboats and the rest of this association. What great opportunity there. Um, so, anyway, back to the story. The Colts traded down to three. The Falcons moved up to take Steve Barkowski. The Cowboys took Randy White. Then the Colts selected... North Carolina, Ken Huff, who was the best of a weak group of offensive linemen. But remember, need an offensive lineman. You hear that phrase every year? Yeah, go ahead. Do that. 
leave a Randy White and a Steve Borkowski on the board to take a need, who end up not even playing. Um, the Cardinals 75 draft was about as almost as bad as the Saints 74 draft. Uh, Tim Gray was, I remember him, God, out of A&M, was an awful corner pick. He was their, uh, their second pick. Uh, New Mexico State running back Jim Germany, I never remember that. He never played for the team. And only their 10th-round pick, linebacker Mike McGraw, and 11th-round pick, Northern Illinois running back Jerry Latin, was, even made the team the next year. They had only two players even on the team the next year. So it was was. So the Bucks came in the league in 76. I'm – going to be running here in a second uh we've got when you own the channel you can kind of go over a little bit we don't have anything we've got something chuck oliver at 11 um the bucks with the expansion franchise ron wolf was the gm first gm they took uh oklahoma defensive end leroy selman with the first pick uh his teammate at oklahoma joe washington was uh went fourth to the Chargers, um, the the and, and those guys were great players. The fifth pick, though, was one of the great corners out of Arizona State, Michael Haynes. Um, the third-round pick for the Rams that year, Jackie Slater. And in the fourth round, the Oilers – drafted this nifty receiver out of Tulsa by the name of Steve Largent, more known for um, Seattle Seahawks fame. Um, in 77, the Packers took Mike Butler with the first-round pick and hoped to take Stanley Morgan with their second. Uh, but the Packers scouts really like um, – Ezra Johnson, the defensive end out of Morris Brown College. Um, Johnson's only exposure was they had a game called the Can-Am game. It was a Canadian All-American game, All-Star game, and he played outside backer. But Bart Starr, who was running, was the head coach and GM at the time, rolled the dice on Johnson and got a big-time pass rusher that um, that ended up being a good player for him. Um, Eddie Edwards, I remember, was taken by the Bengals. Gary Jeter, the Giants, you may remember. Um, Joe Campbell with the Saints. Wilson Whitley of the Bengals. A.J. Dewey of the Dolphins were taken in the first half of the first round. The Cowboys in 77 moved up with Seattle. <clears throat> they moved up there to the um, to take uh, Tony Dorsett, running back out of Pitt. Then became Dorsett. Um, and then the Raiders, I remember the story was they were in the 12th round and they weren't really happy in their draft room with what was left. And so John Madden called his buddy, um, John Robinson, who's the head coach of USC, and said, is there anybody there that you you really like? He said, we got a linebacker here. Has he been drafted? If not, you ought to take him was Rod Martin. Um, he had a really good, really good career. And if you remember him, he was the MVP of the Super Bowl in which they beat the Redskins. Um, I know in 78, Mike Ken out of Michigan was a 250-pound guy at tackle. 
and you know people say that's too small. Yeah, yeah, two hundred fifty pound offensive tackle. Falcons really liked him, um, and he had a really good career. It was famous though for the Earl Campbell draft to the Oilers. Uh, the Packers took James Lofton, the great Stanford receiver. Um, the Browns took a wide receiver out of Alabama and made him a tight end by the name of Ozzie Newsom. And um, the Patriots got a good value in the eighth round with a running back out of USC uh, by the name of Mosi Tatupu. Had sons play in the league. Um, I, um, I'm going to leave it there because in 1979, I'll tell you a little bit about um, this, but I'm, I'm going to save the story maybe for this afternoon. If, if you're liking this stuff, I'll, I'll do it. Um, maybe maybe talk about it tomorrow as well. But I know in 79, George Young was hired from Don Shula's staff in Miami to fix the Giants. It was it was the league got involved. It was so bad. The owners were fighting. And so um, they had taken like Rocky Thompson and Larry Jacobson and Elbridge Small. And so George Young took this quarterback, seventh overall out of Moorhead State, Kentucky, by the name of Phil Sims. He hadn't played in any All-Star games, and he was very mediocre, but um, – George Young and Ray Perkins really loved him. Um, But everyone back in the time, again, different times, said, oh, what an, what an, what idiots. You know, you're going to take, you're going to take Phil Simms over Jack Thompson and Steve Fuller. Yeah, they did. Um, There was in 79, well, there was a there was a um, a defensive end that was really athletic at Arizona State, and he got into trouble with Frank Cush, and he transferred to a small school in Oklahoma, East Central State, and um, so, but he was a phenomenal athlete, and uh, and he had a unbelievable senior bowl, and. Um, most teams thought, yeah, he may be good second-round value. Um, I'm, I'm not going to take him in the first round. The Jets took Mark Gastineau with their first-round pick. Um, and, um, you know, I'll leave you with this one here. 1979. Um the Packers scouts, mainly uh, Red Cochran, who was an assistant coach for Vince Lombardi, was a scout. They wanted um, – they had a quarterback that they had target. And Bart Starr, the great Bart Starr, was the head coach and general manager, um, like this defensive tackle out of Maryland by the name of uh, Charles Johnson, who's a was a good player, wasn't great. But – um, the scouts wanted this quarterback out of Notre Dame by the name of Joe Montana. And 
Bart didn't think he was 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 what he was looking for, e- even though the quarterback situation was somewhat of a need. And so, the next year, um, or two years ago, it was eighty one. The Packers by then need a quarterback, and Bart says, "I I like this quarterback." Um, out of Cal Berkey named Rich Campbell. I don't know if you guys remember Rich. But scouts didn't really like him. The scouts wanted him to take this corner, big corner, who had safety potential out of USC by the name of Ronnie Lott. So, yeah, in a two-year frame, the Packers could have had Montana and Lott instead of the Niners. I'm I'm not how things – have changed so anyway we'll we'll get in maybe we'll get into more of that some of that a little bit uh, later today on the show or uh, tomorrow on the Landry football podcast a couple of things there uh Nola Jack says the guys you have listed as ed um are they three four outside linebackers uh are they defensive ends they are um they're three four outside backers and stand up rush ends so they're edge defenders uh they're guys that can play in a the four three and the three fours are morphed really. The four three three four is more the domination of um of of the the whether you play a one gap or two gap front. But three down linemen, four down linemen, that fourth guy is either stand up rusher or hands in the in the dirt, but they're edge rushers so they can play both. What Chet King says he played golf with Ray Guy was in his fifties and he could hit a golf ball to the moon then. Older guys at uh, Southern Miss says he was the best athlete most of them have ever yeah, you know, uh, all, enough said. Think about it. A guy that was a Major League Baseball pitcher, a Hall of Fame punter, and was – we're not talking about a guy that was a punter that played a little safety. We're talking about a guy that was a really good safety on all – well, they weren't in a conference then at Southern Miss. He was a really good safety. 18 picks, really good player. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's – uh, has there been the least pick of the draft that makes the team that won the Super Bowl the least pick of the draft make a team that won the Super Bowl? Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, I mean, um, Johnny Unitas was a 19th-round pick. I mean, he won, was in the Hall of Fame won the Super Bowl. Um, the Pittsburgh Steelers had a draft room of, um, excuse me, had a quarterback room. Let me tell you who the Steelers had in their quarterback room. Um, they had Len Dawson. Just before the Steelers became good, probably why it took a while. Um, they had Len Dawson, Johnny Unitas, Zeke Bradkowski. And the guy that beat them all out was Jim Finks, the aforementioned GM of the Bears, GM of the Saints. Yeah, they had <clears throat> Lynn Dawson, Hall of Famer, Johnny Unison, Hall of Famer. Zeke Perkasi was a great coach and, and really good in his own right. And, and Jim was Jim was very good. Yeah, he they, they, had, they had those guys in their quarterback room. But um, obviously then went on to the AFL with the Chiefs. Um, um Johnny Unitas was cut, was drafted 19th round by the Steelers, was cut, picked up by the Colts. Um, so, yeah, you can't, get, you can't get any lower than that, late round than that. Um, 
Yeah, no, that's that. Uh, that was one of them. Hey, appreciate appreciate your questions. Appreciate your in um, uh, involvement in the show. Um, we're gonna jump on this afternoon. Give you an update on all the latest, uh, as well as um, you know maybe get into some of this stuff, but maybe get into some of the evaluation of some of the prospects. So bring your questions, bring your thoughts um, on anything that you want uh, pertaining to the draft. Otherwise, um, some other news we've got. We'll have some updates on the Kansas job in the notebook section as well as a lot of other stuff. So keep it out. For those of you that are members of LandryFootball.com, you'll get the um, the, the latest information there. So, uh, yeah, no, there, people are talking about it. Yeah, there, there's tons of guys that went undrafted. But you got to remember that when you're talking like Victor Cruz and, and, um, and late-round picks, you're dealing with a seven-round draft. But a undrafted free agent now, I mean, you went, we went 19 rounds. Brian Seip was the 17th-round pick. As I mentioned, Johnny United's 19 rounds. They didn't have undrafted free agents then, so there's – they're late round guys that would definitely have been undrafted free agents. Unitas um, would have been one. There's, there's a lot of those guys that happened quite frequently back in the day. Uh, and yeah, there's some. I don't know if you can take the last pick. I think Victor. Uh, I think there's uh, Victor was an undrafted. There's some. Uh, there's actually remember they're probably they're more undrafted free agents that make it than the actual last pick. They've been a few though. They've been uh, they've been a few guys that have been successful, but the last pick is just kind of an ironic moni- uh, a moniker. But there's there's a lot of guys that uh, remember depth is the key and getting good players that make it and then become better players. Uh, there's no question. There's there are guys like that. I mean, uh, uh, how about Kurt Warner? I mean, that's a guy there that's uh, you know not drafted and with the Packers and won a Super Bowl. I mean. Uh, uh, yeah, there's there's quite a few of those guys. Hey, appreciate you joining us. Talk to you this afternoon. Have a great day, everybody.